Most people fail not because of a spiritual battle, but because their soul is tired. Because it, because your spirit is good. Your spirit is good. Mm-hmm. And your spirit is strong. And God's covenant is with your spirit. Your soul is your emotions and your heart and your mind, your will and your intellect. And it's because we become weary in our soul. Welcome to Navigation and Discovery with Cameron Singh. We're in store for another awesome interview um, on this podcast. Um, if you haven't gotten a chance to check out some of the previous podcasts, feel free as I've had amazing guests on from all different walks of life. And feel free to subscribe on the podcast and also at the end of this episode, if you could give an awesome rating to help the message of this podcast get spread to a broader audience. So on today's episode, we have Bishop Michael Pitts on the podcast, and I'm very excited to share this interview that we had. Um, Just to tell you a little bit about who Bishop Michael Pitts is, is he is the founder of Cornerstone Church in Toledo, Ohio, and he also oversees the Cornerstone Global Network of Churches and Leaders. So he founded the church with him and his wife, Kathy, and they founded the church with a $1,000 gift from their parents back in 1986. Bishop Pitt's ministry can be most noted by his fervor for kingdom order and on-time revelation. His unique preaching style has gained him access to churches around the world, such as New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, Zimbabwe, Ghana, Mexico, and England. Michael has authored a dozen books, And we're actually going to be talking about one of his books. His book we're going to be talking about is Fault Lines. Things that shake you don't have to break you. So I had an amazing conversation with Bishop Pitts. And um, I really hope that you all enjoy this podcast interview with him. Well, Michael, uh, thank you so much for taking the time and being on the podcast of Navigation Discovery with Cameron Singh. Cameron, it is my pleasure and my joy to be with you. And I think it's a good day for someone to navigate and to discover. It's always an ongoing process. Yeah, and it, it's it's great to meet you. Um, you know, we have a common friend, Dr. Sam Chan. So it's it's nice to meet uh, a, a friend of his. Well, any friend of Doc Chan's is a friend of mine. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so when I when I found out about uh, you, I did a little bit of research and got your book, uh, Fault Lines. But before we go into the message of your book, uh, just tell us about uh, a little bit about your journey into your pursuits of a ministry and how you found uh, the church that you lead, Cornerstone Church. Yes. Well, I started preaching very, uh, young. I was 16 when I, when I preached my first message, and I started doing um, uh, Christian radio by teaching teenagers how to remember the Bible and fall in love with the Bible. And as a result of that program, they would let me preach on it for like a half hour on the weekends. And uh, a church heard me preaching on there that was having a youth revival. And so they asked me, would I come do it? And I did. And then they asked me, would I stay and be on staff? And I did. So uh, by the time I was 18, I left home, went full-time in ministry, working at the church. And um, a year later, met my wife. And uh, then by the time we were 21, we started our church, Cornerstone Church, in a storefront building with 100 chairs, not 100 people, 100 chairs. We had 30 people um, on our first Sunday. I preached so hard that the next week we had 15. 
and I preached so hard that Sunday. The next Sunday we had seven. <laughs> and then um, and then it began to turn around. And by the time it was over, we had multiples of thousands and five campuses and you know, now a hundred church, a hundred cornerstone churches throughout uh, Mexico, Latin America, Europe, South Africa, and the States, and it's keeping me busy. Oh, wow. So throughout your journey, what would you say was, um, I know, of course, it, that journey was not easy. What would you say were a few challenges that you've had to overcome? Uh, well, one is not not having exposure to greater things. You know, I grew up in a, in a pretty regular, uh, you know, middle class home. My vision when I was 16, this is true. My vision was I was going to buy a Volkswagen van. I was going to live in it and travel around the state of Ohio and preach <laughs> because to me, that was a big vision. So, uh, so that, that was a challenge. I'm the first person in my family to ever be on an airplane. First person in my family to ever have a passport. First person in my family to ever be outside of the country. Certainly the first person in my family to ever write a book. Mm -hmm. um, my wife and I were pastoring the largest church that either of us had ever been a part of by the time we were 23. So that, that was a challenge of navigation and discovery to discover what you don't know and to navigate. Mm -hmm. Because if you become good at something that you haven't been exposed to, it's not long until you outgrow your competency. Mm -hmm. And so that was a challenge, not having a lot of help, which is why in this season of my life, I'm working on uh, making myself accessible to younger pastors and preachers and trying to trying to cut some of the years, tears, and fears out of their journey. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've, I've been following your social media over the last couple of months, and also I'm just seeing all the accolades you've gotten in terms of endorsements from this book, Fault Lines. It seemed like you've surrounded yourself with a lot of great people. Um, how important was that throughout your journey is, is surrounding is yourself key. with great people? It is key. It cannot, I don't think it can be overstated um, that that you are like those that you walk with, but not just like them, but you have to have people around you that can see where you can't see, who have been where you have yet to be, who have the ability to challenge you, to inspire you, to motivate you, mm -hmm. to correct you, to blaze a trail in front of you. Um, as a person, I think every person needs someone that they are accountable to, someone who can ask you the hard questions, someone who doesn't need your permission to interrupt your world, um, all of those kind of things. Um, yeah, to me, to me, you can't over overstate it. Well, that's awesome. Well, I want to go into start taking a dive in your book, Fault Lines. Yeah. Uh, so Fault Lines, the things that shake you don't have to break you. Uh, for me, it, this was an interesting read just because the fact that I'm born and raised in San Francisco. And so the uh, opening chapter uh, brought back some memories of, you know, weekly earthquakes that we get there. But um, tell us about, you know, what was the heart behind you writing this book, Fault Lines? Yeah, the, t the title came because of, of something I heard myself say to a pastor who, had ca who came to see me. He came to see me. I didn't know this guy. And he came to see me out of the blue. And um, he, and he says, I, I need to talk to you. And he's telling me how great his life is going, right? He had just built a new house. His, he had, you know, he was doing well. He had some celebrities and athletes coming to his church. And he was doing well economically. He had bought it, one of his kids who was graduating a new car. And he's just going on and on. 
And, um, you know, I've been in ministry now for 40 years. So, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of looking at him. So I said to him, um, so if everything is going so great, why did you come to see me? Mm. And, he, and he just broke and started crying and telling me about how he felt like he was lost. He didn't know where he was going. Part of it was midlife, part of, it, you know, numbers of things that was going on. And I heard myself say out loud, it's because you built your life on a fault line. And when those fault lines begin to move, you have a life quake. And man, it, I mean, you know, sometimes God puts something in you and you hear yourself say something. And, um, and it never left me. And I realized how many people I have seen and do see, how many of us all together experience life quakes because our value systems can shift. Like he had built his life on what he was driving, not where he was going. And, you know, the shoes he was wearing, not the steps he was taking, you know? And so now all of a sudden, when he was getting into the middle part of his life, he realized it wasn't in all of those things and it was causing his life to shake. Mm, that's awesome. I wanted to touch on what you mentioned on beliefs and values, because that's, uh, I think, something that's going to set the stage for our discussion here. Um, you mentioned in the book that fault lines are the unstable beliefs and values that we build our lives on. But how does one truly build their beliefs and values? I think I think there's a few contributing factors. Obviously, the house that we grow up in, um, because a home can, you know, your your parents, your caregivers, your siblings, your relatives, they they all have certain things that they they place value on. And as a young person, you're, you're adopting those values, whether it's athletics, whether it's education, whether it's performance, whether it's where you treat people, whether it's the amount of money that you earn, whatever that is, positive and negative on all of those issues, um, they begin to be formed in us. Um, and then we can kind of look for confirmatory biases. You know, we, we start living our lives out that way. And I think that's how they're developed. I think as we mature, as we grow older, as we experience life, um, either by design or default, a lot of those beliefs become either challenged or reinforced. Mm. And that's that's where things start shaking a bit, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, I wanted to go back on what you mentioned called a life quake, when a life quake happens. What, how would you define what, what's a life quake? Yeah, it, 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 maybe it looks a little bit different, but I think that a lot of times it is the reevaluation of, of those value systems and belief systems. Sometimes um, it shakes up, you know, at certain seasons in people's lives, I, I use the term midlife crisis because midlife is real. And sometimes a midlife crisis really is a life quake. It is a person assessing what do I want the second half of my life to look like? And do I want to continue the way that I am? And different things are important to you. You know, as 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 I become older and hopefully better, um, I find out that there, you know, I, I am less interested in arguing with people over things that don't count. <laughs> mm -hmm. I am um, I don't I don't want to fight with people where there are no spoils. Um I value relationships and, and those kind of things more than uh, than material things. And so I think life quakes can look like that. A lot of times, if, if a husband and or a wife um, has a life quake, it shakes up their family. 
Mm -hmm. um, sometimes people jump out of a, a career that they've had just because they're tired of it. And uh, it can look like um, adults trying to relive their adolescence and going, you know, now they're tired of responsibility. So that, so the wife wants to run out with single ladies and, and go to the parties and have too many drinks or whatever, or sometimes it, it opens the door to um, affairs and um, all kinds of things like that. And it, it's, it's a real thing that happens to people. There are spiritual components to it, of course. Um, but, but I think that that's, that to me is, I guess, the best way to define a life quake. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you mentioned in your book is standing in the gaps. What did, what do you mean by that? Yeah, to me, it's, it's really important because to me, I guess it has to do with restoration. Um, it has to do with reconciliation. Um, because to me, the Bible says, you know, where uh, I sought for a man to stand in the gap mm. and to make up the hedge. So I, I, I did a, a whole series one time at the church called stand in the gap. And so of course, you know, I would go to the mall and find a gap store and take a picture and say, Hey, if you find a gap, stand in it. But the, the, the principle to me is that wherever there's division, wherever there's a gap, wherever something's lacking, that we should seek to stand in it. And, um, my theory on, I guess, or my philosophy on restoration and reconciliation is we don't always do well at it. And um, life will throw curbs at people. And um, I think that we're foolish to talk about being in warfare and march on Christian soldier and having a Salvation Army ringing bells and all of those things and mm -hmm. then be surprised when people get wounded in warfare. And I think that if you're in the military and you get wounded, when you come home, you get a medal and you're a hero, which you should be and should be honored for that. If you're on a sports team, football team, and you get hit and knocked out on the field and they gather around you, if you can stand up and walk out under your own power, everybody stands up and claps for you. Mm -hmm. uh, every, every city has a hospital. Every army has a mass unit. Every sports team has medics and yet in the body of christ when someone is wounded or a fallen soldier um it doesn't seem like we have many things in place and they get cast aside and ridiculed rather than galatians 6 says if a brother is overtaken in a fault those of you that are spiritual should seek to restore in a spirit of meekness considering yourself so to me, that's what standing in the gap means. It means closing the distance. The worst thing that can happen to someone in the middle of a life quake is for us to distance ourselves. Hmm. I think I think closing the gap, being present, I would define love as thereness, to be there, to be present, I think helps to mitigate the collateral damage. Mm -hmm. I think also this is a topic I'm very passionate about, um, and you you talk about this in your book too. Is having a healthy soul. Um, it's and it's so relevant, especially with what's just gone on in this world over the last few years. And I'm a huge Certainly. I'm a huge champion of this. Um, but I wanted to hear from your perspective. Is first of all, how do we develop a healthy soul, and why is that so important? for not only going through these life quakes, but just life in general. Life in general, for sure. Uh, isn't it interesting that the Apostle Paul wrote, above all things, mm -hmm. above all things, I wish you would prosper and be in health, even commensurate to 
as your soul prospers. So, you know, uh, the Apostle Paul is way out of my league and above my pay grade. So when he says that this is above all things, that means there's some experience in that. Because obviously the Apostle Paul faced many traumas and dramas in his life and also dealt with a lot of uh, sticky situations, I'll call it messy middle stuff. <laughs> so I think that it's, I, I think it's of utmost importance. Um, sometimes pastors will ask me if you had, if, if you're, you know, uh, 40 years in the ministry self, had to talk to your newly starting self, what would you say? And the one of the things I would say is that I would take better care of myself. And it took me a while to learn that I'm not Superman. I'm really more like Clark Kent. And um, that I can't run 24-7. I can't be accessible 24-7. I have to take downtime. I have to do things that most people fail not because of a spiritual battle, but because their soul is tired. Because it because your spirit is good. Your spirit is good. Mm. And your spirit is strong. And God's covenant is with your spirit. Your soul is your emotions and your heart and your mind, your will and your intellect. And it's because we become weary in our soul. And your soul is what likes music and art and fun and comedy and relationships and and we can get so busy that we don't ever nurture our soul and our soul begins to atrophy and fatigue because it's draining. It takes a lot of soul work to go through life. When people have responsibilities of working and raising children and dysfunctional friends and dysfunctional selves, and, and it takes a lot of soul energy to do that. And if we don't find a way to pour back into that, um, then, then we we come into danger. So I don't. I I think that it's essential. It's essential for good soul health. Yeah, that could be a challenge though, especially um, if uh, there's pastors out there starting a church plant, or you're in a brand new company, you're trying to move forward, um, or you have a new family. Um, you know, you're often saying yes, yes, yes to a lot of opportunities and not realizing what you're doing to yourself. Um, and then oftentimes that, that leads to burnout where it's uh, ab absolutely. So when the Bible says, let your yeas be yes, let your yes mean yes. Let your no mean no. Mm. How many times did I say yes when inside I was saying no, yes, mm. I'll do that. But no, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> and then, um, when I was young, I used to say yes to everything unless there was a reason to say no. Mm. Now I say no, unless there's a reason to say yes. Yeah. And because I found out that I only have one me. And yeah. so I have to take care of me. I can't love my neighbor as myself if, my, if I'm losing myself. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own self, his own psyche, his, his own being? And um, so I, I don't, I, I'm sure that that, would imply also eternity, but beyond eternity, it really is the word soul. What does it profit me if in, in trying to do everything for everyone else and build the kingdom of God that I lose myself in the middle of it? Mm -hmm. And that sometimes is where a life quake happens. A, a person no longer knows who they are outside of what they do. And God did not create us a human doing. He created us a human being. And so we're so busy doing, we're trying to do strong and and rather than be strong, we're trying to, you know, we're trying we're trying to do everything rather than be everything. You know, we're not, we're not being at peace. We're trying to do peace, 
and um you know we're we're trying to do holy rather than be holy and yeah. and so that becomes that becomes exhausting which was the number one word that i heard during uh during tough times and the number one word that i hear that that makes me think someone is either in burnout or close to burnout, whether whether a ministry or a mother trying to raise them three mean boys or or a husband trying to deal with something or a wife trying to deal with the husband's alcoholism or whatever it may be, the number one word is exhausted. And we never do well when we're exhausted. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I started learning how to say no about a couple of years ago, only recently. And although it's difficult to say no, but you feel your soul is replenished. You're getting a good amount of rest and uh, you're yes. taking control of your time. Um, yeah, and yes, because, you know, saying no is only hard about the first couple of times. Then you start yeah. liking, <laughs> then you're like, okay, I got it now. I can say no to that. Yeah. And, and it's okay because if you can adopt the belief that if I say yes, where I should not say yes, I'm standing in a place that is assigned to someone else. I'm actually robbing someone else of that. When I say no to something I shouldn't be doing, then it frees open that space for someone who's assigned to it to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, I'd like to shift the conversation a little bit. Um, it just came to mind. I uh, wanted to touch on the topic of, of uh, this podcast, truly really, navigation discovery. So it's people that are listening are from a variety of different audiences, uh, a variety of different backgrounds and um faiths and all all wide variety of, of an audience that's listening um and you know one of the topics i'm passionate about is navigation discovering discovering who you are um so for those listening young old i know this this topic is relevant for everyone is where people are having difficult time figuring out you know what they're called to what their purpose is in life um what advice would you have for the, for those listening out there? I'm probably going to say something that they may not have heard someone say that may be counterintuitive. I think that in our time, we have maybe placed too much emphasis on finding my purpose. Everybody's trying to find their purpose. Mm -hmm. um, I believe we all have a purpose, but I believe that so many people are are in suspended animation because they're doing nothing until they find their purpose. And many times your purpose, you may be doing it now. You may be, you may be living it out or it's incremental one step at a time. And somehow we're waiting for a light bulb to go off and say, this is your purpose. When sometimes our purpose is just who we are in whatever situation we find ourselves, because that's the one thing the one unique thing that every person brings to any setting is themselves. I call it the me factor. You know, that's the one thing that I have that no one else has, and that's me. And so um, I think along that way, you, you discover what you're good at, what you, what you um, gain a fulfillment from, how you help others. And then I think figuring out uh, at some level, maybe how to monetize that and how that uh, works within your family structure and your life structure. I, I, but I think a lot of pressure is given to, oh, this is my purpose. And then you stick that stake in the ground. This is my purpose only to find out oh, it can change. It can alter. 
Mm -hmm. And I, I think a big part of that, and I, I talk about this in, in uh, not only the podcast, but also the book that I recently wrote, is uh, how spirituality is also a big part of that, uh, faith and spirituality. And people that are listening are, you know, either believe in something or trying to figure out what what is spirituality all about. And I think especially what happened over the last couple of years, people are more open to spirituality. So what advice would you give to people that are are exploring faith and spirituality? Yes, I think it's a it's a number one indicator of emotional health that we talked about earlier and um, also understanding a purpose because where, where you have no faith, um, then, then you're the center of your own universe, which is, mm -hmm. which is futile, uh, futile. And I, I think that uh, statistics will tell you that, is, that emerging generations um, that don't have a strong sense of faith are more struggling for their purpose. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they don't know what their purpose is. Um, because if you, if you know that God brought you here, and sent you to the earth, then that also means that he created you for a purpose. Mm -hmm. That's what Jeremiah, that's what God's words to Jeremiah were. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you and ordained you for a purpose. And man, that that takes a lot of weight off of just going through life for no reason. And um, and and I, I and I think the con the wording, which I in the vocabulary, I understand spirituality. I think the danger in that is unregulated spirituality. One of the big problems that we have with emerging generations are, um, are, are things that are not legitimate. You know, are, are, are the, is a family legitimate? Are their children legitimate? Are, are, is their jobs, are they earning money in a legitimate way? And entering into spirituality as, as a whole illegitimately is opening yourselves up to every kind of spirit, witchcraft, belief system, philosophical worldview, and uh, I, I I think that uh, that it should be legitimized by serving a God. When people tell me, "Well, I'm not really, you know, I don't know if I really believe in God, but I'm spiritual," then that makes me nervous because I'm thinking like, "There's a whole lot of spirits out there." <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Um, you know, sort sort of as we close, um, just wanted to open it up to see if is there anything on your heart that you wanted to share, anything else regarding the book, or just something that that's been on your heart that you want to share with our audience. Well, the tagline uh, of the book, Fault Lines. The tagline is the things that shake you don't have to break you. I would like to say that because you will win if you don't quit. Mm -hmm. And God built you with the storm in mind, right? The house on the yeah. rock. He knew the winds were going to come. The rain was going to come. He built us with a storm in mind. And most, most of us are stronger than we imagine, that we are more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. And that uh, if we put our trust in that God truly indeed sent us here, that we can course correct. We can bounce back. You can rebuild just like San Francisco did after the earthquake. Yeah, they, they rebuilt and uh, you can have better days and stronger days in front of you. That would be my heart and my prayer for anyone. And I hope they would get the book Fault Lines. It's on mm -hmm. Amazon, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that's my next question. Uh, Michael, how can people connect with you and your content and also get a book, a uh, copy of the book Fault Lines? Yeah, Fault Lines is on Amazon and um, they can find me on social media platforms. 
Uh, it's usually it's uh, Bishop Pitts, you know. I am a consecrated bishop, duly authorized and ordained bishop in the Lord's Church. Um, uh, and they can find me on social media. And if they want to look at any of my resources, if they just went to michaelpitts.com, they could they could find me there. All right. Well, um, that link will also be in the podcast description. So on whatever platform that you're listening on, uh, there'll be a link to uh, Michael's website and also the link to uh, purchase the book on Amazon. I love it. I love it. And thank you for what you're doing. And for all those of you that are listening today, please hear my heart when I say we're for you. God is for you. Life is tough, but God is good. And um, my best hope is that you make it through every life quake, every fault line, and build on a good, solid foundation for your future. Well, that's awesome. Um, Michael, or Bishop Michael, or Bishop Pitts, thank you so much for uh, the time and, and sharing your heart a little bit. And it was, it was very nice to meet you as well. Nice to meet you and continued success to you. Keep winning. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to Navigation and Discovery with Cameron Singh. I really hope you enjoyed this podcast interview with Bishop Michael Pitts. And if you want to find out more about Michael Pitts and um, look into some of his books, you can go to his website, michaelpitts.com. And also, if you're looking for that link, it's right in the podcast description for you. And so really hope that you were able to learn something from Michael as he talked about his latest book, Fault Lines. Also, um, if you haven't gotten a copy of my debut book, Navigation and Discovery, you can find more about that. Um, I have this book, the study guide, the audiobook, and many other formats that you can purchase the book. You can go to CameronSingBook.com, and I also have provided that link for you in the podcast description. So thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast episode and appreciate all your support. If you have not subscribed yet to the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe so you get the notification when the next podcast episode goes live. And also, if you would be gracious enough to provide a rating on this podcast episode and the podcast so that this episode and podcast can get to a larger audience. Thank you again for your support and catch you on the next episode.